Chapter 7, How to Fast Speaking of food, one does not realize the huge quantity which is consumed in the course of a month by an ordinary individual until one fasts. Most of the American people consume far too much food. According to health experts, the American people as a whole suffer more or less with auto-intoxication. The scriptures show us plainly that we should be temperate in all things. A study of Psalm 78, along with other scriptures, shows us vividly how much God dislikes the glutton. So they did eat and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust, but while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their souls. Some people wear out one set of teeth digging their way to the grave. Then they buy a second set to finish eating themselves to death. William Penn, the founder of Pennsylvania, has said concerning temperance, To this a spare diet contributes much. Eat therefore to live, and do not live to eat. That's like a man, but this below a beast. It is very important to point out here for emphasis that fasting and starvation are two entirely different things. Fasting is a physiological process, whereas fasting is beneficial and will rid the body of most diseases, starvation is detrimental, and if continued long enough, ends in death. This could seldom, if ever, happen before from 50 to 100 days. The difference between these two processes is fundamental. The appetite of hunger will have to be overcome and overruled for the time being with extreme willpower and assistance from the Lord. The first days of the fast are very, very difficult. Sometimes several attempts will be necessary before the candidate will have fasted long enough for hunger to leave. Not only does the body crave food at stated and regular times by reason of long-continued habit, but the mind likewise becomes restless and continues to remind one that food would be relished. The battle is both mental and physical. One never realizes until he begins a fast how important a factor food really is to his mental frame of mind, as well as to his physical and spiritual being. As long as the body is continually nourished, one does not think of food to any great extent, but as soon as it is withheld, it begins to occupy an important part in the mental life. One has a constant tendency to think of food. He anticipates, even at the very beginning of the fast, the day when abstinence will terminate, and when eating will again become possible. This craving of the body can be overcome only by immediate distraction to other activities and by keeping in the spirit of prayer. A glass or two of water will alleviate the immediate gnawing symptoms, which usually develop in the region of the stomach. These sensations are produced by the rhythmic activity of the muscles and about the stomach, and are present when food is first withheld and when the thought of food occupies the mind. As soon as this thought is banished by concentration upon Christ, these rhythmic muscular contractions soon subside. After a short time, these acute sensations of hunger will pass away, probably to occur again later, perhaps at the next regular meal. A repetition of the water drinking and prompt distraction of attention will again dispose of these symptoms. After three or four days, it will be found that real hunger will not return again until the return of natural hunger at the conclusion of the fast. Habit hunger, which is different, will often make its appearance and leave just as unexpectedly as it came. Salt water flush. If one wishes to hasten the effects of fasting at the beginning, a salt water flush can be used to flush out the colon. This should not be used after the first several days. To one quart of hot water, add two level teaspoons of salt and drink. This may be done at any other time on an empty stomach when not fasting for cleansing purposes. 
Very often during a fast, one will become highly sensitive to the taste of water. The taste sense becomes very acute, as well as all of the senses, and one will detect flavors and metallic tastes never noticed before. Bottled or pure water is preferable to ordinary hydrant water. To avoid cramps in the stomach and some other unpleasantness, hot or warm water should be drunk instead of cold water, unless the cold water is taken very, very slowly. This is more important if a person is thin or the fast taken in cold weather. One of the greatest obstacles to be overcome by practicality, all who undertake this unusually beneficial experience, will be the persuasion of over-solicitous relatives and friends who invariably endeavor to tempt him to break his fast prematurely on a false alarm that he is injuring his body or he is starving to death. These persuasions of over-solicitous relatives becomes very strong and insidious, and he may fall by the wayside and give in to a tempting dish. If he does, he should not be discouraged, because frequently many efforts and much willpower will have to be exerted. A common belief that one must remain indoors and perhaps in bed throughout a fast of any duration is entirely erroneous and is based on the assumption that we derive our strength and energy directly from the food consumed. A certain feeling of languor may be present during the earlier latter days of a fast. A working man can continue working if his work is not overly strenuous. His prayer, however, will not likely be as concentrated or as effective. Sylvia McVeigh writes on her 42nd day fast, I did all my housework, cooked three meals a day for my husband and four children, washed our clothes on a washboard, and attended church every night. Before rising in the morning, one should exercise gently in bed and breathe deeply. This will counteract any dizziness and any other strange feelings that may occur at first. Plenty of water should be taken. This should be taken slowly. Usually these symptoms are felt during the first few days only and disappear entirely later on. When hunger returns, the weakness of experience will be real and will not pass away as the earlier symptoms did. Never rise from any position suddenly. The purpose of rising slowly is to get the blood in free circulation so that you will not experience fainting. After the body toxins have been consumed, eliminated, and oxidized, one will feel strong mentally and physically. Pains, dizziness, weakness, and peculiar feelings will have disappeared. All of the various organs and parts of the body as well as the sense faculties will be revitalized. Spiritually, one will feel as if the demons of hell are turned against him. It is doubtful if you will ever have such trials as the strange ones that showed up while fasting or at the close of the fasting period. The trials encountered at this time are numerous. Naturally, the devil will fight to prevent a child of God making headway towards faith. It simply means defeat for Satan. Jesus' great testing came after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Before he performed a single miracle, he fasted. Fasting and prayer drives out all unbelief and doubt. Read Luke 4, Psalm 109, 22, 31, and Psalm 3, 13. You will be rewarded. There is not such a grand, glorious, and wonderful experience in the entire world as the marvelous victory brought by praying and fasting. Words cannot describe the blessings. Prayers that you have been praying for years will be answered. Your diseases or the sickness of others from whom you have been so long praying will disappear. Your loved ones will be saved. Although various complications, many of which have been enumerated, appear while fasting, such as fainting, fever, dizziness, headaches, a tendency to vomit, severe sharp pains in the abdomen, weak knees, short breath, sleeplessness or sleepiness all the time, nervousness, vexation, foul breath, watery nose, sneezing, backache, burning kidneys, sideache, etc. This do not all appear at one time. Perhaps only one or two may be noticed by any one individual in an entire fast. 
please do not be alarmed, as this is just a natural result of the fast and in nearly all cases experienced only during the first part of the fast. Usually hot water drinking, anemas, and exercise will stop the condition. After the body is cleansed, the condition will subside. Pains in abdomen are often caused by drinking cold water too fast. A change to hot water will remedy the condition. Oxidation of waste material in the intestines causes the fever. Large enemas, wherever necessary, are helpful. The enema bag should be elevated high. Some medical advisors, however, state that it is not always necessary for the bowels to move when fasting. That enemas are not always necessary. How long should we fast? Until we definitely know that God has heard our prayer so that we acquire the power that Jesus speaks of to do the seemingly impossible, we should continue to fast and pray regardless of whether this requires one meal seven days or a complete fast of several weeks, 40 days, or until true hunger returns, which usually takes several weeks or sometimes longer. It is our glorious privilege and duty to fast through to a victorious experience. However, we do not buy God's favor by this work. It is more difficult for an older person to fast, although from a physical standpoint, they may need it more. It takes a much longer time for weakness to leave. Sometimes fainting tendencies may be felt, and due to this condition, it is advisable that an older person be with another individual who can help, if necessary, until weakness leaves. Sometimes several fasts of a week or ten days may be better at first before a long one is undertaken. A few days after hunger leaves or within a week or two, depending on age, the weakness that you have felt generally leaves and fasting becomes much easier. In some instances, it may take much longer. After these first eight, ten, or fifteen days, more or less, fasting becomes a matter of routine and actually becomes easier. You should now concentrate in prayer, seek an answer from heaven, a revelation, a healing, or some spiritual operation of God in your life. After fasting and praying for what is God's will for us to have, these discontinue your prayer for the objective sought. Continued praying for things that are already promised us results in prayer of unbelief. Those prayers are not answered. Please lay claim on it now by fixing a time for your faith to explode and from there on always thank Jesus for it. You will be a possessor. From now on, confess it. Study carefully Romans 10, 9, 10. This scripture applies to anything we may want from God. Pastor fasts 10 days and 300 converted. Men are learning how to receive gifts. Dear Brother Hall, June 14, 1949. Some time ago, a friend sent me one of your books, Atomic Power with God. I was only a little interested when I first received it, but it grew on me. The anointing of God was upon your message. Just recently I fasted into my tenth day and along with my Bible I kept your book near. The Lord met me in a wonderful way during this fast. However, I was forced to quit far too soon. My pastoral work took up too much of my time. When I fast again, I expect to take it during my vacation so that I can devote my full time to waiting on God. The above book was studied during a recent fast by a friend of mine. In one week's revival since these fasts, 300 people went into our prayer rooms for salvation. I have seen more of God's power manifested since you have wrote 10 your books and more men learning how to get hold of God for spiritual gifts than at any other period I know of since the time of Christ. Please send me your other books. Yours very truly, Pastor Harvey L. Smith. Pascagoula, Mississippi. Chapter 8. Fasting in relation to the physical body. Is fasting harmful to the physical body? 
This question has been raised more than any other question concerning the subject of fasting. In the light of modern medical science, we can state with assurance that fasting is not in the least harmful. Fasting purifies and cleanses the body. It permits a balancing of the circulation, absolutely essential to good health. It allows the various eliminating organs to dispose of the epithet material from the system and to oxidize or burn up the useless matter which has accumulated like ashes in a grate. When a fast is begun, the first things which are oxidized and eliminated are those useless materials floating about in the form of mal-assimilated food material, which sometimes choke the blood, small blood vessels and congest the lymph vessels. In other words, the very things which we wish to eliminate from the system are those which nature actually disposes of first of all. Fasting is house cleaning of the body. The Holy Spirit then is given a clean temple in which to dwell. Cleanliness is also godliness. When assimilation stops, the process of elimination are greatly accelerated. We will show four methods used in this process. The four means used in house cleaning. One, the skin. Through its millions of pores is one channel through which much toxic waste is eliminated. Much more waste is removed through our pores during a fast than at any other time. This is one reason Jesus said, When thou fastest, wash thy face. It is also a good practice to bathe frequently to keep the excreted material washed away and the pores open. The kidneys. Much water drinking is highly beneficial. It dilutes the urine, which constantly washes out the poisons that are poured into the kidneys. Water drinking is a must during a fast. Drink at least six glasses of water daily or enough to satisfy thirst. The lungs, number three, play an important part in this house cleaning process. It would seem almost unbelievable that loads of poisons are exhaled in the fast through the nostrils from the oxygenation of the blood. The same amount of poison is released through the nostrils and lungs as through the kidneys, bowels, and skin. All persons smell alike during the first part of the fast, and a person familiar with fasting will recognize the odor as that of a brother or sister fasting and instead of criticizing, will rejoice in his or her heart that his brother or sister is fulfilling some of the works of the Lord. If a person is praying and fasting as he should, the odor will not bother him. If you do not wish to have an obnoxious breath around your neighbor, get some menthol crystals at the drugstore. A very fine crystal particle will dissolve on the tip of your tongue so that your brother will not be noticed for a long time. Your breath will not be noticed for a long time. There will be such a small amount in the tiny crystal that it will not get back of your tongue far enough to get into the stomach. The reason that I mention this point is that some folks have chewed gum when fasting and the amount of sugar in the gum would it almost enough to break the fast. The menthol crystal will be stronger than the gum, more lasting in the breath and too small to reach the stomach. This is only a suggestion. Bad breath is a good sign that the house cleaning process is going on. This vapor that comes from the lungs will clear up later on in the fast, and the breath as well as the taste in the mouth will become as clean and odorless as that of a baby, believe it or not. The bowels are the fourth channel of elimination. It would be well if they would move every day or two, but often they move with less frequency while on the fast. But do not be alarmed if they should not move very often. Since all four of these methods of elimination are at work, is it any wonder that fasting us is a way towards health? If in good health, this is a method for preventing sickness. Fasting is the most powerful and the quickest agent known for curing functional ailments, especially is this true of stomach disorders. That is why it is so very necessary to break the fast carefully with fruit juices, followed by fresh fruit for several days. 
If a person is in a diverse state of health, his eyes, throat, liver, glands, blood, and a little later, even his kidneys become rejuvenated and greatly benefited. This is a natural law designed by God, and this physical aspect is touched upon so that we may realize that fasting and prayer to God is harmless to the body. Would it not be unreasonable to think that Christ would ask us to fast if it would hurt us physically? We have a good God, and He asks us to do nothing that will hurt or harm us. One fasts for a long period of time and secures great spiritual results without bodily harm and in addition receive much physical benefit. If one is afraid that he is harming himself and full of fear, he cannot obtain the best spiritual results from the fast. The Lord certainly does not want us to come to Him in fear, but rather in a spirit of trust. Fear is one thing that must absolutely be dismissed from the mind entirely. Is fasting starvation? Absolutely not. Fasting and starvation are two entirely different things. To illustrate, the complete fast begins at the time you omit one meal, and it ends after a large part of the body weight is lost, usually when true hunger returns. See Matthew 4, 1-4. It may last several weeks or longer. Jesus' fast lasted 40 days before true hunger returned. He was afterward and hungered. In his fast, he fasted naturally, just as you or I would. When a man has a keen appetite and is really hungry at the end of a long fast, as Jesus was, it is an indication of good health. Any physician will tell you that a man with a good appetite is in good health. At the end of a complete fast, hunger sets in. At this point, starvation begins. If the fast is continued after true hunger returns... It was when starvation had just begun at the end of Jesus' fast that the devil sought to take advantage of the hunger by tempting him. Satan fears to see God's children fast with prayer because it means his quicker defeat. Fasting is like dynamiting Satan. Starvation begins after most of the body weight is lost. It usually starts after true hunger returns, which is seldom less than 21 days and maybe as long as 40 or even 60 days. It is difficult to state the exact time when starvation sets in. It varies with different individuals. Fat people can fast much longer than thin ones as the body can continue for weeks living on the superfluous fat material. The end of starvation is death. Death occurs when an individual has continued to fast long after true hunger has, has returned and usually long after starvation sets in. Some confusion exists here. When you hear that someone died of starvation in a sea-wrecked vessel in two or three days, there is some mistake. A person might easily get cold or become frightened to death in a few hours' time or a few days' time, but cannot possibly starve to death in such a short period if he has water to drink. He might also worry to death in a short time. A human being is like a vital electric plant that is so constructed that it is ordinarily supplied with power from the dynamo, but may run for a considerable length of time on the battery current. For each of the millions of cells of the body is a cell similar to the most perfect cell of a storage battery. Fasting stops the dynamo and automatically turns the switch to the battery current, which is just as capable of sustaining life as the current from the dynamo. The physically healthy individual has more storage capacity than one with a weak constitution. In Yeo's physiology, we find the longest case on record. The patient suffering from a gunshot wound in the abdomen lived four months without any food. His weight decreased from 159 to 60 pounds. Every function was almost dormant. Thought was unimpaired. The brain was unusually clear. This is always the case with anyone fasting. And the brain was found to have suffered no loss in size. 
The percentage of decrease of different parts of the organism, including other cases considered, is given by Mr. Yeo. Fat, 97%. Blood, 17%. Spleen, 63%. Liver, 56%. Muscle, 30%. Nerve centers, 0%. Note the zero percentage of decrease of the vital nerve centers, including the brain. Note particularly the 97% fat consumed, showing that the body utilizes as food the surplus fat, which can readily be spared without injuring organism. Do not these striking percentages indicate that the body is designed for fasting, that it is so created that it can survive a long foodless period without injury? Are not these figures a wonderful proof of the divine wisdom in creating and designing a body prepared to meet and able to handle the exigency of a long foodless period? A human being cannot starve to death in his several weeks of fasting if he has water. He can die if he worries to an extreme or becomes overly frightened either with food and drink or without food and drink. One should not drink milk or coffee when fasting for to do so is dieting and not fasting. Nothing at all should be drunk except water. It is a purifying agent and is necessary to wash out the poisons from the system. Unless one's work is unusually heavy, it is not necessary to give up his job. If he is not getting sufficient exercise in praying or work, he should regularly take exercise to assist the fast. It is then easier to fast and very beneficial as well. The weakness leaves more readily and the fat fast gets underway more quickly. Exercise keeps the blood circulating. However, if we pray as we should, one will get all the action and exercise needed because real praying is hard work. And this is what we need if we are to see great spiritual results. It is important to secure sufficient rest and sleep. If possible, take more rest when fasting than when not fasting. More rest may be required, although one does not seem to miss sleep as he would while eating. The Bible is ahead of science. The blood or life of the flesh is the last part of the body to be consumed after starvation sets in. It is at this point that a fast passes over into starvation. Credit is given William Harvey for his great medical discovery of 1615 AD. The circulation of blood, life is blood, or the circulation of blood. This is considerate a great milestone in the history of medical science. But if you check into the Holy Scriptures, you will find that this is not a new discovery at all. Thousands of years before William Harvey's day, God told Moses this very same thing. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Leviticus 17.11 See also Genesis 9.4 and Deuteronomy 12.23 If the Bible were studied along with science, the scientists of the day would be more up to date and not be so often obliged to revise their theories. The blood at work. The blood, as you know, is driven by the heart through the arteries into the capillaries where it nourishes and strengthens the body. It then returns through the capillaries by another route, the veins to the heart from whence it is drawn to the lungs. The blood starts on its arterial journey, bright red and rich, laden with life-giving properties. It returns by the venous route, poor, blue, and dull, being laden down with waste matter of the system. It goes out like a fresh stream from the mountains. It returns as a stream of sewer water. In a fast, the returning stream is far more polluted than when not fasting. This foul stream returns to the right oracle of the heart. When this oracle becomes filled, it contracts and forces the stream of blood through an opening in the right ventricle of the heart, which in turn sends it into the lungs, where it is distributed by millions of hair-like blood vessels to the air cells of the lungs. 
The foul stream of blood is now distributed among the millions of tiny air cells in the lungs. Air is inhaled and oxygen comes into contact with the impure blood through the thin walls of these hair-like blood vessels of the lungs with walls thick enough to hold the blood but thin enough to admit oxygen. When the oxygen comes in contact with the blood, a form of combustion or oxidation takes place and the blood takes up oxygen and releases carbonic acid gas generated from the waste products and poisonous matter which have been gathered up by the blood from all parts of the system. The blood thus purified and oxygenated is carried back to the heart again, rich, red, and bright, and laden with life-giving properties and qualities. Upon reaching the left oracle of the heart, it is forced into the left ventricle, from whence it is again forced through the arteries on its mission of life to all parts of the system. It is estimated that in a single day of 24 hours, 35,000 pints of blood traverse the capillaries of the lungs, the blood corpuscles passing in single file, and being exposed to the oxygen of the air on all sides. If the air cells of the lungs were spread out over an unbroken surface, they would cover an area of 14,000 square feet. When one considers the minute details of the process alluded to, he is lost in wonder and admiration of our Blessed Father's care and omnipotence and omniscience. Considering the value that the lungs play in the cleansing of the blood, one should be interested in proper deep breathing and securing plenty of fresh air. More about this is found in author's booklet, Because of Unbelief. See back cover. This volume will show a person how to have tremendous faith. First and foremost as a cause of disease is the congestion of the blood with morbid waste material from the organs and tissues of the body. This thickened blood surcharged with products of imperfect metabolism finds itself unable to pass freely through certain parts of the body, which is so necessary for perfect health. The damming up of the blood in certain organs and tissues produces an engorgement which interferes with the free and natural functioning of that particular part. There are few of the disorders from which mankind suffers in which this condition is not present. And it is no exaggeration to say that this is one of the principal causes of most diseases. The condition is brought about in the bloodstream by eating more food than the body actually requires. Excess food and insufficient exercise results in incomplete utilization of the food. It requires a lot of unnecessary energy to digest and eliminate and otherwise dispose of the surplus unnecessary food. Jesus calls it surfeiting. Luke 21:34. This is one of the contributing causes of skin blemishes, boils, growths such as cancers and tumors and diseases of the mucous membranes such as tuberculosis, ovarian and womb disorders, and leucorrhea. Consequently, a cure depends upon the elimination of this congestion and a readjustment of the habits governing eating, exercising, etc., so that the body may be freed from these encumbrances. The best way to do this is to stop assimilation for a time by fasting. This is most effective in producing quick results. Both physically and spiritually, the results are so astounding that it is like a bird in a cage set free in the wide open. In earlier ages, man was used to satiating himself to the utmost with the food at his immediate disposal and gorging himself upon the fruits of conquest. In these modern days of plenty, food became so plentiful that the cravings of hunger were fully satisfied and the cultivation of epicurean appetites became more and more a vice. Man has actually suffered in a greater degree from this superabundance than from the enforced hunger of scarcity and the struggle to provide sufficient food. Occasionally, some soul has cried out in protest against sensual gratifications, but the mad crowd pays scarcely any attention. They have little heeded the words of our Master's voice and the teachings of the Scriptures, nor have they sought the power 
Nor have they sought the power of the Spirit, but have made the belly their God and their bellies the graveyards of their souls. Temperance will be more readily practiced by those who understand that good eating habits will bring about rapid physical and spiritual changes which make for immediate happiness both now and tomorrow. Fasting conserves tremendous energy that can be utilized in building up the temple of the Holy Spirit. Other teachers, besides the prophets in Christ, such as Krishna, Buddha, and Muhammad, have awakened the minds of their followers to some degree, to the moral and ethereal desirability of control over sensual pleasures, the root of which is eating. What medical men say. The earliest physicians were united in teaching that abstentious living was the key to good health. They advocated the denying of food to a diseased body. Through the centuries, thousands of teachers have come and gone with their circles of disciples who have practiced fasting as a cure for disease. But there were few patients that took the treatment seriously from their physicians. Possibly because it seemed like a utopian dream, too good to be true, or the regime or the regime to be followed too strict and requiring too much willpower. Some doctors and medical and health authorities have issued publications that clarify the science of fasting from the standpoint of health and the cure of disease. Some of these writers on the subject are Dr. Tanner Sinclair, Dr. McCoy, Dr. Shaw Haskell, Dr. Dewey, Bernard McFadden, Dr. John Cowan, Tilden Brook, Dr. R. Walter, H.M. Scheidt, N. Carlson, and others. Dr. Frank McCoy is his book, The Fast Way to Health, states, I have made a most exhaustive study of every method of cure from mind care to modern surgery and gland therapy, and I have never found a single method that could approach even closely in its results the benefits which come from some form of the fasting cure. Some of these volumes can be secured from your library. Dr. McCoy treats his patients by fasting and dieting methods. He also prescribes a very long fast for some conditions, for disorders of both women and men. Most of his books give illustrations and examples of his patients placed on a fasting or dieting treatment. If more physicians would practice his method of healing, there would be less sickness. Fasting has a distinct value in obtaining and retaining perfect health. In early times, Avicenna, the great Arabian physician, clearly sensed the value of fasting, since he often prescribed as long as a three weeks fast for his patients, especially for syphilis and smallpox. Dr. Isaac Jennings, as early as 1822, employed fasting successfully as an aid in almost every kind of ailment which he treated. Fasting has proven a divine aid to the body's own processes of self-recovery. Fasting in ailments such as asthma, hay fever, constipation, headaches, cold, skin disorders, arthritis, rheumatism, blood diseases, and anything else along the line of blood or functional diseases has proven almost a miracle of recovery. Benefits have been observed in nervous and mental disorders, paralysis, semi-paralysis, neuroasthenia, and in some forms of insanity. Please bear in mind that we are now talking about natural divine aids and not divine healing in this section. By fasting and prayer, the Lord will heal us of any sickness, regardless of whether it is incurable or not. This would be divine healing. Many incurable diseases in man are caused by demons. Demons cannot be cured. They must be cast out. It often requires prayer and fasting to do so. When food is withheld, oxidation begins within the body. This is nothing more than a collection of refuge gathered from a bonfire in which waste poisons are burnt up just as a person would gather up the trash in his yard and burn it up in his incinerator. This is indicating sometimes by a fever which sets in during the early stages of the fast and by headaches and other symptoms. 
A testimony from Burbank, California reads, I was surprised at the awful poisons that came out of my body. We should fast often It is, if it is only to keep ourselves clean. Consult chart number X, man analyzed and diagrammed. Fasting gives the body a much-needed holiday, a vacation in which to recuperate. It never occurs to most people that the body seldom has a rest from its ordinary labors. We overtax and overload all the organs with byproducts of our wrong living, eating, drinking, and thinking. We do not grant these millions of little cells which labor so incessantly for our physical well-being any rest. No, not even a sabbatical rest. Most folks would be far better off if they would pray and fast at least one day a week. They would be stronger physically and deeper spiritually. Most of the early churches, especially the Methodists, had at least one fast day a week. Fasting does not reduce but increases the energy and heat of the body by the combustion of the waste poisons by a process of oxidation and which waste becomes the fuel for its own destruction and elimination from the body. The process of combustion becomes a source of added bodily heat for the false faster's comfort as well as a source of added energy bringing about revitalization and restoration of health. Fasting retains the youthful complexion and appearance. Fasting defers old age and keeps the body young. Flossie Windsor writes from Triton, Newfoundland, My flesh is taking on a natural rosy youthful color. I feel like a new person. In early old age is both a biological and mental abnormality. It results principally from accumulated impurities and deposits. Abstention from food will help to remove the accumulations and thus defer the physiological process that brings on old age. We are only as old as the number of dead cells we have in our body. Fasting converts the dead cells into food fuel. This explains why we look so much younger after fasting. With the physical house cleaning goes a mental house cleaning. I have personally seen pessimism, gloom, discouragement, anger, grudges, fear, morbidity, despondency, worry, fussiness, mental tensions, perversions, vile and depraved thoughts, excitability, other forms of mental conditions, and bad habits disappear completely after the bodily purification is accomplished. Bodily purification leads to a spiritual purification. Demons often feed on food, filth, and carnality. Many times a fasting unloosens them and makes a person free from demons and disease. The health authority Bernard McFadden tells us that the body is intimately influences the higher soul powers during a fast. I definitely know. Physical renovation and purification lead to spiritual renovation and purification. I have experienced a sublimation of the spirit during a prolonged fast, which is difficult to put into words. It must be experienced to be known. There is a spring to the step, a feeling of joyous release, of gladness which fairly overwhelms one. There is, too, an exaltation of spirit, a broad and more generous sympathy, love and understanding for all things and for all mankind, a feeling of well-being and of peace with God, with one's fellow man, with the world, and with all things which are a part of our everyday living. If this is the exalted experience of a person interested in the physical welfare of individuals, how much more glorious should be the experience of those who would specialize in power and faith with God through fasting and prayer? It takes Jesus, however, to give eternal life. Chapter 9 The Proper Care in Breaking the Fast It's very difficult to break the fast properly, but very important. The importance of breaking the fast correctly and wisely cannot be overemphasized. If you wish to avoid unpleasant consequences after your fast, 
Please use plain common sense and pay strict attention to the following directions. Very often an individual takes a fast of several weeks and gets along fine in the fast, but to his disappointment has uncomfortable physical difficulties while in the process of breaking the fast. In practically all cases, this can be traced directly to his impatience to begin eating his accustomed rations day and even weeks too soon. If you have fasted very long or have taken a complete fast, you will have practically a brand new stomach and will have to become adjusted to food again. If you had your automobile engine overhauled, it would be necessary to break it in slowly for so many miles. If it were a major overhaul, you should run it at a lower RPM, much longer. The same rule applies to a new stomach. I once had an airplane with an 80 horsepower engine. I had it majored by an A and E mechanic. Before I could fly it, even at low RPM, the motor was run while on the ground for about five hours. After it had been broken in sufficiently to fly, it was flown at low cruising speed for another hour. These 10 hours that were required to break in the engine were broken down into short periods so that the engine would be properly broken in safely. Our bodies are like the overhauled engine. The longer the fast, the more care it takes before resuming regular diet. Our stomach must be broken in gradually and time is required between the periods for rest and for the gradual return to normal of the assimilative functions. In Bible days, the Israelites, the prophets, and the disciples of Christ were acquainted with the dietic laws of Moses and the teaching of the prophets and Essenes and knew about the hygiene necessary to break a fast. But today, most people are ignorant of this information. In a long fast, the stomach is new, like a child's stomach. And when you break a fast, it must be done properly to avoid injuring the stomach. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we should be careful to protect it from injury. After true hunger has returned, in some instances true hunger does not return, or if one finds it necessary and advisable to break fasting before hunger has returned, we should use only fresh citrus fruits. Oranges and grapefruits are the best to break it with. Fresh tomato juice is almost equally good. Grape juice from gra fresh grapes is very fine. Sauerkraut juice, if agreeable, is sometimes good for the second or third meal after the fast is broken. If the fast is seven days or less, it can be broken with whole fresh fruit for two or three meals and light soups the second day. The third day, green vegetables and your regular diet from there on. Even after a short fast of two or three days, one should avoid sitting down at the table to eat a regular meal if he wishes to feel comfortable afterwards. But it is not so necessary to break this type of fast as carefully as a fast that has been entered into for many days. Canned fruits are satisfactory when fresh fruits or juices are not available. If the fast has been very long, it will take several meals of fresh fruit juices and small diluted quantities to correct natural tendencies. Your regular diet should not commence until at least one, at least the number of days have elapsed equal to the number of days that you have fasted. For instance, if you have fasted 28 days, you should have a gradual breaking in period of 28 days before you resume a regular diet. You should start out with fresh juices for several days, then fresh fruit for two or three days more, then light soups, not too milky, for another two or three days, and then green vegetables for a further period. Gradually, little by little, break into the regular diet. Since much weight has been lost, the quickest way to regain it is by drinking milk. After several days of the above-mentioned schedule, small amounts should be taken at first, then larger and larger portions. Caution! 
Sometimes milk will cause the individual to bloat, as a simulation will be too great. If this should happen or any other difficulty arises, it is because you are rushing the breaking-in period. The remedy is to eat less or cut out some of the food. If necessary, go back to fruit juices or fresh fruit again. If very severe, go back to fasting. And if you do not drink water, take enemas often. This is a safe rule to follow if any complications should develop during the breaking-in period. Notice, this is very important. Do not rush your stomach. The longer you wait to regain your weight and the more slowly you get back to regular eating, the better you will be your physical condition afterward. If you fail to wait long enough, you will undo much that has been accomplished physically. We urge you by all means to obtain our book, Glorified Fasting. This volume will give you more information on breaking the fast than any other volume available. We feel that every person who fasts should have it. It is called the ABC of Fasting. 40 Illustrations contains a scientific treatment of the fasting cure, Road to Better Health. The author imparts to you in Jesus' name and personally commands the believing reader to be a recipient of God's great, greatest blessing for the physical body, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. God bless you with His holy fire. Hallelujah. Chapter 10. Results of Fasting and Praying St. Paul has probably inspired more men and women to follow Jesus Christ than has any other person. His teachings are more revered and loved in the church today than are those of any other writer. After Paul's conversion, he began his career with a three-day fast, Acts 9.9. If every convert would follow Paul's example by fasting three days, meditating, and praying after his conversion, there would be fewer backsliders and more chosen vessels for the Lord's service. According to Galatians 1.17, Paul then went to Arabia, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. Preparation had to be made. Christ had to be woven into his theology. Changes had now to be made. A mystery is supposed to cover his stay in Arabia, but of the effect of fasting on a man of Paul's character, there remains no mystery. Since he says of his Christian career, he was in fastings often. 2 Corinthians 11.27 There can be little doubt that he fasted in Arabia when all the circumstances were most favorable for a fast. The result was that he returned to Damascus and began to preach Christ in power and demonstration of the Spirit. He became a spiritual giant for God. All of us need to go into the wilderness or into Arabia before beginning to preach Christ. If there is that something lacking in your life, even if you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fasting experience is for you. There would be more success instead of so many failures in the ministry. The power and demonstration in the Spirit would be manifested and gifts of the Spirit would commence to operate. If there is any one agency that can do this quickly and perfectly, it is the consecration of fasting. It is the sure route to the route to the anointing. We have been too busy with much serving as ministers and have missed the power for the highest service because we have failed to follow Brother Paul in his fasting as he has invited us to do when he says, Walk as ye have us for an example. Surely since he was in fasting often, then is included in the example in 2 Corinthians 11. 23, St. Paul says, Are they ministers of Christ? I am more, largely because he was in fasting often. All of the verse, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven reads, In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, is herewith quoted to show that Paul distinguishes between doing without water in his hunger 
and fasting, which is doing without food only, but not without the drinking of water. Here is the secret of being more than a mere minister. It is the secret of Paul's power. All who will take his words to heart can excel by using his glorious agency. We are obligated to do so to be our best. This command, be followers of me as ye have us for an example. Philippians 3.17 is for all believers as well as for ministers like Paul. This is still more evident from the manner in which he refers to fasting and prayer in 1 Corinthians 7.5. Defraud ye not one the other except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. These words cannot be construed as being addressed alone to ministers. They are addressed to all, and it is a routine work of salvation that needs to be worked out after we are converted. Verse 6. I speak this by permission and not of commandment, pertains to the marriage relationship and applies to the sex appetite, which should be denied in fasting. After approximately three days in the fast, the desire will have disappeared anyway. If the married couple wish all the happiness there is in wedlock, before you ever argue with one another about breaking up, try the fast way, and to try your surprise things can be healed so that you will want to go on another honeymoon. Try it out and see. It is an inexpensive method, a money saver. In Acts 13, 1-2, they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The result was finding the will of God. Paul and Barnabas were to be separated to the work whereunto God had called them. It seems that the Holy Ghost has little place in the churches in these modern days, but give the Holy Ghost a chance to lead through fasting and prayer praying and see the results. 2 Corinthians 6, 1-5 We then, approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience and fastings, surely if he could not approve himself a minister of God without fasting, how can the rest of us presume to do so? Paul certainly was acquainted with the value of his tonic. Ministers can be their own evangelists after a season of fasting and prayer and will do more good than a stranger could possibly do without fasting. There will be less psychology and fewer stories, but more spiritual power and demonstration, as well as fervor and zeal in the revival. Bible students can obtain the choicest postgraduate course in the University of Spirit by uniting for a season of prayer and fasting. They can become better commentators on the Pauline epistle by obtaining the Pauline fervency and zeal than they ever thought possible by just following Paul's example. And we hold Bible conferences, fellowship meetings, basket dinner gatherings in the church, feasting, jubilees, musical services, and prayer meetings. Why not have fasting prayer and consecration fast, anointing services, and conferences? The results have been astounding in the places where they have been held as we shall presently tell you. After Jesus received the Holy Spirit, although He was the Son of God, yet He did not begin to manifest His Sonship until after He had fasted forty days. As children of God, we will need to follow Jesus in fasting and prayer if we expect to manifest spiritual life and power, as did our Lord. There is no other way to have full manifestation of spirituality but through fasting and prayer. And there is, according to St. Paul, no other remedy for the groaning and suffering of creation than a complete manifestation of the children of God as far as is possible here on earth. Romans 18, 8, Roman 8, 19-22 The whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now and waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity. Even the music of the birds is in a minor key. All animal life is groaning with unpleasant sound. There are sounds of discord, the weeping and wailing, barking, meowing, the howling and growling. All are a sign of sin and pain. The noise on the street, the clanging of the wheels on the streetcar, the sound of your automobile, the howling and whistling of the wind and windy weather, all these and much more remind us of the groaning of the creation. Why? 
It is because the sons of God and more of the children of God are not manifesting. The crying of countless millions in Asia and Africa, the cries of starving multitudes that are dying all over the world after this second world war have reached a high shrill pitch of suffering. It is all because the sons of God are not manifesting themselves. The cripples, the sick, the suffering, the insane asylums filled with the distressed and hospitals running over with sick and wounded, the groanings of suffering humanity everywhere, all is because the sons of God do not have the vision and know not how to manifest. The Laodicean denominational bound church has so much riches, comfortable pews, stained glass windows, but the Christ is left outside. Now he is knocking at the doors of a few individuals. Think of it, Jesus on the outside of his own church. The so-called Christians and the makeshifts between church and state are of no avail as a remedy and have actually become a reproach to Christ that prolongs the struggle and sufferings of millions. Under the somber leaden skies there is revealed to us a ray of hope. In the providence of God there is only one remedy that will terminate the groaning instead of merely suppressing it as other agencies do. That remedy is the manifestation of the sons of God. Our complete manifestation, of course, takes place when the Spirit quickens us, when the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body, Romans 8.24, occurs, but we have an earnest expectation available now, not for just a few individuals among the sons of God, but for the entire body of them, one can be a child of God all his life without manifesting in this sense. Yes, one can even receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and not fully manifested. On the day of Pentecost, the 120 received the baptism in the fire, backed not only by days of real prayer, but as they were in the upper room continually by many days of fasting. The result, the world's greatest revival. It shook the whole city and countryside. These women and men who were in the upper room began to manifest and something happened. They were all of one accord and their unity knew neither divisions nor sectarianism. Most of the great revivals that have swept the land were born in fasting and prayer and can be traced back to that very thing. Fasting pleases the Lord. Faith parallels fasting. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But in the word of God, Jesus has given us a more direct and specific pathway to the receiving of his faith. The disciples needed to fast in order to obtain faith to cast out certain demons. If we were unable to get victory over ordinary sicknesses and achieve certain prayer accomplishments without fasting, how much more should we fast than the disciples? Surely this should spur us on toward fasting more than ever. If faith is produced by following Jesus' instructions in prayer and fasting, then there surely is a close relationship between fasting and faith. Shall we analyze the subjects of faith and fasting and see the relationship between them? Faith. 1. Faith ignores the sense faculties of sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. The senses are an enemy to both lasting and faith. 2. Faith ignores feeling. 3. Faith works with the invisible. The digestive tract at its beginning is the word organ. This instrument is also our faith organ. 4. Faith is on the spiritual plane. 5. Faith worketh patience. James 1.3. 6. Faith is a substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. 7. Faith is the evidence of the unseen, the evidence of things not seen. 8. Faith ceases to be when the substance is made visible. 9. Faith is anti-carnal. 10. Faith is believing what is not seen by the natural. 11. Faith brings supernatural manifestation. 12. Without faith it is impossible to please God. 3. 13. Faith brings spiritual power. 14. Faith is the victory. 15. The natural man dislikes believing in God. 16. Christians find it difficult to believe Christ for the physical healing which 
was bought for them. 17, faith pulls down the strongholds of the enemy. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. 18, faith likes the same things that fasting likes, and it dislikes the same things fasting dislikes. 19, the more we exercise our faith, the stronger we become in our Christian experience. The power of faith is exercised by the spoken word. 20, faith will make a supernatural person out of an ordinary individual. 21, faith works independently of the flesh and of all sense evidence. Fasting. 1, fasting wars against our members so that the senses, though keen in operation, are subjected to the spiritual. 2, our feelings change to a spiritual environment. 3, our miserable feeling during fasting comes while the flesh is being subjugated to that invisible spiritual power may be manifested. 4, Fasting leads us into the Spirit. Five, a major fast always gives one's greater patience. Six, fasting brings one into contact with the substance of God. Seven, fasting brings revelation evidence from God. Fasting is therefore faith's greatest ally. Eight, after the fast ends, there is a major spiritual awakening. Nine, fasting is anti-carnal. Ten, fasting takes one into an unseen spiritual realm, sometimes in divisions. Eleven, fasting will undo the, the natural. It brings us into the supernatural. Twelve, fasting pleases the Lord. Thirteen, fasting produces the faith that leads to spiritual power. Fourteen, fasting moves God to give us the victory. Fifteen, the natural man dislikes to fast. Sixteen, the children of the bridegroom are urged to fast, yet it is so distasteful to them that seldom can one be found who has fasted ten consecutive days. Seventeen, fasting brings us into a great spiritual battle that ultimately brings great victory. See Daniel 10, 2-18. Satanic forces struggle against the fasting candidate seeking to break the fast. Nineteen, Fasting empowers a Christian to make great spiritual strides. To be at our best, we should be in fasting often. 20. Fasting neutralizes the flesh so that a person can become a powerful conductor of spiritual power. 21. Fasting is disliked by the flesh. The natural is restrained. God comes, the confession organ. Faith is blind to physical reason and physical conditions. While reason is nervous, excited, and troubled, faith is patient, relaxed, and calm. Faith just takes over and possesses. All believers can have faith power to heal the sick and cast out demons. See Luke 9, 1, Matthew 10, 7, 8, Mark 3, 14, 15, and Mark 16th chapter. It is necessary to be grounded on the Word of God and believe the Word of God to retain our healing. Others could have faith for our deliverance, but we might lose the healing if we did not also have our faith properly grounded in the Word. This explains why some healings do not last after we are healed. We could get our faith more on the person delivering us than on Christ. We would be healed, but if our faith was not definitely established in the Word of God, there would be a possibility of the return of the ailment. We must have faith in God. A powerful scripture for you to stand on and go about your duties throughout the day is one pertaining to sick people. Mark 16, 18, the sick, they shall recover, they shall recover, they shall recover. Now say it this way, I shall recover, I shall recover now in Jesus' name. Now is also the day of healing salvation. Get acquainted with the author's faith organ books, The Gluttons. The love of eating is the second root of all evil. It is definitely pointed out by Christ as a last day sign. Matthew 24, 38, Luke 21, 34. There is nothing wrong with the enjoyment of eating to live, but it is wrong just to live to eat. There is a big difference. Psalm 78.33 shows us plainly that this is the cause of sickness. More are destroyed from gluttony than from alcoholism.